Good morning. It's great to see you today. Wasn't worship amazing this morning? I oh, just, honestly, I feel at the moment like I'm holding all of this stuff and I don't really know where to put it. That's the first thing. Sorry. Um, it's just, church feels so exciting. I don't know what's going to happen on any given Sunday and that's my favorite place to be when it's not predictable. Um, we're starting a new theme, as you know, this morning, our vision that we announced in October of last year for the foreseeable future is Jesus. Ta-da! Yes, what a great vision to have. If you had to gaze upon anything for the rest of your days, I don't think you could gaze upon anything more beautiful or anyone more beautiful than Jesus. And we've looked at knowing him, and today we transition into what it means to love Jesus. What does it mean to love Jesus? And I want to talk about the battle for our heart, because our heart is the major battleground in this spiritual walk that we're in. And you may not even understand today that there's a battle raging for your heart, but I want to tell you there is. In every moment of every day, the enemy is contending for your heart, but the great news is that Jesus is also contending for your heart. And so I've got a lot that I want to share this morning. Oh, and this is part one, okay? This is part one because I want to look at the greatest commandments. We're going to focus on the first today, and then the next time I speak, I'm going to look at the second because the truth is that they can't really be divided, but I just don't have enough time to cover them both. So we're going to have to have a part A and a part B. But Hear me when I say that as I share this morning, I am not ignoring the fact that we are also called to love our neighbor and that that is the outworking and the evidence of loving God with all our heart, strength, and, and mind, okay? So just have that, um, have that in the corner of your mind. Now, this may not look like a particularly impressive vehicle to you, but several years ago, a momentous thing happened for Pete and I. After years of living by faith and driving a succession of very clapped out cars, we finally had enough money to be able to buy a second-hand Mazda estate. Living the dream, my friends, living the dream. No, actually, I know I joke, but we really, really are living the, living the dream. We could never, ever have foreseen it at that point. And so what might look like nothing much in particular to you is a prized possession for us. Um, now, it looked amazing on the outside, the interior, leather, my friends, leather, and a Bose speaker system, which really made my husband very excited at the time. Um, heated seats. That's a good thing, isn't it? Come on, in winter, heated seats is great, although it does sometimes make you feel like you've wet yourself. Too much information. And of course, the much coveted dual climate control. His and hers living the dream, no more arguments about the temperature of the car. If only they could invent something like that for a duvet, we would truly be living the dream. Oh, and it felt great to drive. So Pete went with a lovely friend um, to go and check this car out. It was a private sale and everything seemed to work fine. Mileage was low. Price was good, but not too good to be true because we all know there's no such thing as a true bargain when it comes to the world of vehicles. So he took the plunge and then we got it home. And no sooner 
had this car turned into our driveway that a warning light appeared on the dashboard, which would not go away. We took it to countless garages and mechanics, and it turned out eventually that we had an issue with the engine management. Mm, the turbo wasn't working, and I think Pete has shared on this, some of you are nodding, in the past, which meant that although it looked incredible on the outside, although it had an impressive brake horsepower and appeared to be in mint condition in, internally, beyond what you could see at first glance, it just simply wasn't functioning as it should be. Something was missing. Something was wrong. Listen, church, appearances can be deceptive. We live in this Insta age, which is entirely obsessed with the outward appearance. We're obsessed with performance. We're obsessed with words. We're obsessed with possessions. People spend hours, hours, hours of their time perfecting an artificial, filtered world in which they present their status, they present an image. But... As the tragic death of the incredibly lovely Caroline Flack last week reveals, the reality beneath the external facade that we present and the internal state of our hearts can sometimes be worlds apart. You know, people love to show us their food, the latest meal that they're eating. They love to show us all of the exotic places that they've visited or even, yes, and I've been guilty of this, their new haircut goes on the family WhatsApp. I don't bore all of you lot with it. But the truth is, God is not interested in the external things. We have a God who is zealous, that means passionate, ardent, entirely focused, obsessed with the state of what is truly inside. And you know, a bit like our car, there's a church in Ephesus that Jesus, via John, wrote to in Revelation 2. And if you have your Bibles on your phone or whatever, please feel free to turn with me. We're going to read from the Passion Translation today, Revelation 2, verses 2 to 5. You see, a lot like our car, this church had it all going on outwardly. But Jesus was able to see beyond all of that to the internal state the state of the heart, which, after all, is the epicenter when it comes to loving him. And he flags up a huge warning light, a bit like that one on our dashboard, for them to pay attention to. And I believe he's flagging it for you and for me today, too. So let's have a read. I know all that you've done for me. You've worked hard and persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You've tested those who claimed to be apostles and proved they're not, for they were imposters. I also know how you have bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name. That's amazing, isn't it? Yet you have not become discouraged. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. I'm just going to read from the Amplified Version, just verses, verses 4 and the beginning of verse 5, because I think it sort of, well, amplifies it for us. 
Uh, let's have a look. Sorry, I'm not very good at remembering to do my slides. Are we there? Yeah, okay. But I have this charge against you, that you have left your first love. You have lost the depth of love that you first had for me. So remember the heights from which you have fallen and repent. And I think repent's a really difficult word for us. It sounds so religious. It sounds so wagging of the finger, doesn't it? We don't receive it well in this day and age because we struggle with authority in general, even when it's God. But I want to un... That's true, isn't it? Yeah, I know. We're all rebels, right? Um, but listen to what it means, okay? I, I want us to understand what that word repent means because in the Greek it's metanoia and I will unpack it some more later on. But this helps us in the Amplified. It means change your inner self, right? This heart within. Your old way of thinking, your sinful behavior, that means all the junk that disconnects you from God and seek God's will. And do the works you did at first, when you first knew me. Wow. A little while ago now, probably about 10 years or so, Bev Murrell was taking a session for um, a number of us leaders, and she was talking about the life cycle of an organization. And she used this bell curve, um, which is really helpful by a guy whose name I can't pronounce, but I have credited him at the top, and feel free to go and look it up if you want more information. I don't have time to explain all of this, but what I'm going to do is just explain that an organization or a company... Um, begins in this stage of courtship. That is the love phase. It's where you pioneer something for the love of it. And that leads to infancy. It births something new. And the place that all organizations are aiming to get to is prime. Can you see it? It's just before the top of the bell curve. So there are lots of different phases that the organization will go through. But when it reaches prime, that is where everything is happening. Administration has come in, and so you've had the go-go phase where everything is crazy and everyone's doing everything. You know, if someone founds a company for the first few years, they have to be and do everything. They're administrating, they're doing the finances and the accounting, they're going out there and meeting the clients. And eventually, as things become more successful, they're able to employ more people and put some structure in, and things begin to take on this exciting life of their own. But I want to point out something, because on the other side over here, quite dramatically, we have death. And we've seen companies and organizations come and go, haven't we? I'd like to call it decline, because in some cases, the organization may not die. But when we think about churches or church bodies or denominations, it may actually be that just the exciting, edgy part of living by faith is lost as tradition sets in, as bureaucracy sets in, as certain other things set in. But interestingly, the most interesting part for me is at the top of that bell curve, that's really the pinnacle, isn't it, the top? It's the summit. And outwardly, in that company or organization, or even church, it looks like everything is amazing. Everything is functioning as it should be. There's no sense whatsoever that actually that organization has already slipped into decline. Outwardly, everything can look right, but internally, 
decay or decline may already have set in. Listen, church, wouldn't it be easy for us here at Skylark to fall into the same trap as the Ephesian church? Because honestly, that's where they found themselves. Jesus is saying, I know your deeds. I know your perseverance. I commend you for all of that outward stuff. But there's one thing. There's this one thing that I hold against you. There's this one thing that I want you to understand. That that outward stuff may be wonderful, but inside there is a warning light flashing. There is a problem that I want to expose to you. We have great activities here, don't we? I mean, we're so blessed. There is just this wealth of stuff for us to choose from. We're doing great work into the community, which is changing lives and hearts. We send people on mission. There's a team from Big Love, which is part of our Skylark International family, but a lot of the team are based in this church, out in Romania as I speak, doing incredible things. Fabulous courses. Fabulous conferences, incredible projects. But if we don't love Jesus with all our heart, soul, and mind, if he's not our first love, what's the point? What's it for? What are we actually giving away to other people? So how on earth is it possible for a church, and I'm not saying we are, but I'm saying we could become that way if we're not careful. How is it possible for a church to end up decaying inwardly, even though it might look in its prime? Well, the only thing to do is to zoom even further in, beyond Ephesians, into the individual. Because here's the newsflash. This is not church. You are the church. And I am the church. And so this gathering that we experience together and all of the infrastructure that comes, it's a real like nice to have, but that is not church. You're the church. And so if the church begins to decline, you might perceive it. The first place to look, my friends, is right here. You look into your heart and I will look into my heart because if we allow the state of our heart to become infected with so much junk that we've stopped loving Jesus even though we're doing great things for him then this church will absolutely hit that fall at the top even though it might look amazing I don't believe we're there I can sense in the worship God is truly doing a new thing but what I bring today is a warning light it's basically saying listen church it's happening God is doing something but what we absolutely don't want to do is to enshrine the thing. We want to enshrine God. He's the one. We want to carry him out of this building into every corner of our universe. And with the only way we will do that is if we love him with no other distraction. So we can come to church. We can sing the words. We can go to life group or to Bible study or to teach on a Saturday morning. We can give to the poor. But if we have neglected Jesus, our first love, if that heart relationship is not real for each of us, then that's how a church begins to die. The greatest commandments. Jesus is asked, they're trying to trap him in Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. And he comes back with this incredible answer as only Jesus can. 
Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says the whole of the law and the writings of the prophets depend on these two commandments. You see, love is central to our Christian faith. Love is the thing that if we strip all of it away, it's the thing that will remain and endure beyond the grave. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Haven't we overcomplicated it, a life with Jesus? Haven't we just made it about so many other things? It's not a checklist of stuff that we have to do. It is a relationship, a beautiful love relationship. And you know, when it comes to the word love, we just have one word in our English vocabulary, and it's not adequate, is it? With the same breath, we can say we love football and we love Jesus. That, I'm sorry to some, I know it's almost like they're almost next to each other in your mind's eye. Uh, bad example. Let's pick something less controversial. We can say that we love Doritos and that we love Jesus. Not so much of a sacred cow. Unless anyone feels really passionately about Doritos, in which case, come find me. <laughs> I'll deliver you. <clears throat> okay. So... Those on social media, they click a heart button to indicate their love for someone's status or picture. Could be as great as the meal they've cooked, the latest fashion purchase. And love has become cheapened as a word. Casually given, casually removed. That's not the love Jesus is talking about here. And when I speak in my second part, I'm going to unpack that more. But this is agape love. The Greek word is agape, and there are several words for love in the Greek. And it's a different kind of love. It's unconditional. And get this, the best thing about agape love is not just that it's unconditional, but that implied, implicit in the word agape is the fact that we look beyond ourselves to love those beyond us without any need for reciprocation. That's how God loves you and I. He doesn't need our love in return. He, he loves. He loves it when we offer our love in return. But that's how he calls us to love others, even our enemies, even our enemies. What a challenge. I don't have time to go into all of that. I can't wait, though. It's going to be very exciting. Let's move on. So what are some of the warning signs? How do we know that our love is growing cold? How do we know if we like the Ephesians church, if we're an individual sitting here today who has just lost that first love or is beginning to lose that first love? Well, here are some indicators for you. It's not a comprehensive list, but let's have a look. Going through the motions. When I think about this, I think about lip syncing. And Pete told me this hilarious story yesterday about when he was in a boys' choir and they were doing Handel's Messiah, was it? No, but carry on. I always get, sorry, I always get the details wrong. I listen for gist. They were singing some incredible piece, Verdi's Requiem. There you go. Thank you, babe. 
And um, he had to miss a rehearsal. And so there was a whole section of Verdi's Requiem that he had not learned. But he was surrounded and flanked by a lot of strong tenors. And so when it came to the evening, he sang his heart out for all the bits he knew. But then came the section that he didn't know. And to all intents and purposes, you sitting there watching Pete singing in that choir would have had zero idea that not a note was leaving his mouth because he was putting so much expression into it and yet there was no sound he was carried by those around him church listen listen how's your worship how's your worship are you being carried by those around you what's it like on a Monday morning how's your worship life then What's it like in the moments where you're under pressure and you could crank it up in the car, but actually you're so mad you put something else on? Going through the motion, it's so easy for us to lip sync in the kingdom, isn't it? And we, we, we can sing the words, but actually our heart is nowhere near. We can hide behind those around us, but listen, when it comes down to the individual level, us and God, there's no hiding he knows us. We can't escape his gaze. Lack of passion. The love is just a bit colder than it once was. Reading the Bible becomes a bit more of a chore. Distance and disconnect, that's when praying becomes hard. Once we start to feel that disconnection from God. Confusion. I just don't understand. I don't understand why it's panned out this way, God. I'm looking at my life and it, sh it never should have been this way, which can lead to mistrust, feeling lost and isolated. Here's some more. Has your relationship with Jesus become works-based? Well, that's when you're doing loads of stuff for Jesus. You're serving, you're working hard, you're persevering, just like the Ephesians church. But... You're doing stuff for Jesus rather than loving who he is. And your heart is just withering away. Resentment is a big indicator. And actually often resentment is displayed initially towards others. Maybe those who look like they're flourishing more than you. Maybe those who look like, quote unquote, they're more spiritual than you. Um, that's a big warning sign, actually, if you're starting to feel resentment. It's usually a heart issue. And pretty much every heart issue is resolved vertically with you and God first. Judgmental and critical. I mean, that is the byproduct of becoming religious and living a works-based relationship with Jesus. We just become really critical of other people. We look at all that we're doing and somehow we feel superior. And that gives us this sort of false pride that makes us feel like we can then wag the finger at others who aren't what we think they should be. And honestly, that's the most ugly kind of church to ever become. If we ever become that as individuals or as a collective, we're never going to reach those people that God has called us to reach because they don't need somebody else wagging a finger. They've had enough of religion wagging its finger. They don't need another hoop to jump through. We want to introduce them to unconditional love, unconditional love, Un anger and frustration. And there's one I left off the list, but it came to me in worship, which is complacency. And we prayed into this this morning um, in pre-service prayer. 
And I feel like this is a real danger point for us here in Skylark because we have so much. We are so, so blessed. It would be really easy for us to become complacent in our love for Jesus um, and to think that the fact that we have this incredible worship team or the fact that we have such a beautiful building or so many other things that we can be involved in, all of those things could actually distract us from the fact that the Christian life is just one step towards Jesus after another. It's an opening of our hearts and allowing him to transform us in that love relationship. And thinking about the B conference, you know, I grieve over this because I was there in the days where it was being pioneered. And I remember staying up in my PJs, completing journals for the first year it was called B. It used to be Searsha before that. And Bev had just, I mean, I can't even tell you what that lady laid down so that we could have the B conference and host it here. You guys will never understand if you weren't there. But there's a complacency that comes when we inherit something that someone else has pioneered. It's just we take for granted that it's always been. And so then familiarity can breed contempt and we can start to think, oh, well, the guys get to go away to the Lake District. Why do we just get the B conference? And for me, I think, well, Sue Gibson and others are about to go out to arise. And women in the persecuted church are risking their lives to meet with one another at a conference. We as a church are able to fund Someone to come. We're, we're giving some money so that delegates can come from other nations. But they would give anything to meet together. But we are so blessed and so rich in what we have that we've become complacent. Listen, if you honestly feel like I've got nothing that I can get from B, I've been for the last however many years and it's not for me, here's what I want to say to you. Understand that we are a resourcing church. We are here to bless other nations and other people. So bring a friend and come for what you can give to that friend. If you genuinely, genuinely think that, and I would like to point out, unashamedly, that's a bad attitude if you do feel that way. Sorry, but it is. We're blessed to have the B Conference and people laid down their lives that we might be able to gather as women and enjoy God's presence together. Let's never become complacent. So there's this battle raging for our hearts. Our love for Jesus is the most precious commodity we have. The relationship we have with him is paramount. And it's the enemy's primary target. He contends for our heart constantly. Let's take it back to the garden. Let's think about that. Why did the enemy drive a wedge of mistrust between God and Adam and Eve? What was he aiming to destroy? Their love. Their beautiful, mutual, perfect love for one another. You see, back in the garden, in the cool of the day, God and man walked together. They talked together. They communed together. It was a relationship that was without shame, without division, without disconnect, without pretense. It didn't require effort or any kind of activity or good deed to earn God's affection or approval. And that, my friends, is what the enemy hates and what he wants to destroy. And that's been his mission since the beginning of time because this sacred love, this relationship is the only ingredient that will truly change the world. So he does his best to eliminate it. How? Well, let's imagine that this is your heart and my heart and Adam and Eve's heart. 
they're just a really great depiction for us of all of humanity. So what happened to them is pretty much what happens to us on a daily basis. So the first thing he does is he plants a seed of mistrust into that heart. And it's like poison. It's this lie that seeps into this perfect love relationship. Did God really tell you not to eat? Did he? Ooh, why would he have done that? Is it because he doesn't want you to become as powerful as he is? And the mistrust led to deception. And the deception led to sin. And I know, again, it's another word that we don't enjoy. But let me explain what sin is. Just break it down for us today. It's anything, anything, anything that gets in the way of this beautiful love with, with Jesus and with our dad in heaven. Anything that we've done that we shouldn't have done. Anything that we haven't done that we wish we had done. Stuff that's been done to us that has caused us pain and caused us disappointment. All of those things that clutter up our heart. That is sin. And sin led to shame. And shame led to fear. You can see what we eat in our house. That's it's interesting, isn't it? Is there anything healthy in here? Oh, a nappy bag. It's not a genuine, genuine. And um, fear led to blame. Blame led to disconnect. And that is where it all went wrong. You see, this heart that was open and available to receive daily the perfect love of the Father had become cluttered and dirty and full of rubbish. And this is what our beautiful God has been longing to restore and put right ever since. That's the reason Jesus came, to restore and recover that beautiful love that was lost. Perfect love between us and God. And I want to clarify, God's love never went anywhere. God's love didn't waver. His love is that agape love. It's constant. It's unconditional. It's continual. And it has no expectation of reciprocal love. But then there's ours. And I can only speak for myself, but I know that on a daily basis, mine is like this. Up and down. I'm tossed around by my circumstances. My emotions definitely don't help. The curveballs that come, the things, the suffering, the pain, switching on the news, the state of humanity, all of these different things cause my love to become a little bit intermittent when it comes to Jesus. Make no mistake. The enemy wants to kill, rob, and destroy. He wants to kill off your love for Jesus. He wants to rob you of this perfect love relationship you were designed for. He wants to destroy your heart connection with the one who loves you in a way that no human being ever could. Genesis to Revelation, it's the same old problem. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. So... How on earth do I get back to my first love from here? If I find myself here, which honestly, I often do. Even in preparing for this message, I was just so challenged about the state of my own heart. I'm not perfect because I lead a church. 
Leading a church is toxic for your relationship with Jesus because you spend so much time trying to meet everybody's expectation, praying because you've got another meeting to have or another thing to lead. I don't want to become that. I just don't. I don't want to become a machine or a person on a treadmill doing the stuff, but my heart is not in a real authentic place with Jesus because then I've got nothing to give you guys. So what is the remedy? So much has crept in and spoiled it. It's become so complicated. If you've lost the depth of your love for Jesus, if you feel like you've gone too far, if you feel like you're stuck in a maze and you just can't find the exit, if you don't know how to get back what you once had with Jesus, I've got good news for you today. There is an antidote to that poison that the enemy has placed into your heart, all that junk. Thinking back to our bell curve, there's a way that death and decline can be avoided. Do you know what that is? Oh, I can't get the picture back up. But you just have to imagine with me, if you remember where prime is, you remember where the fall is. Here we go. Thank you, legend. The way to avoid decline is that when you get to prime and everything is cooking on gas, you have to take a courageous step. You have to go all the way back to courtship to that heady, amorous, doing it for the love of it, doing it when I can't see what it's going to be like, faith steps, exciting stage. Because otherwise, bureaucracy sets in and it goes, whoosh, takes a nosedive. And that's a little bit like Revelation 2, isn't it? I can see a parallel because the remedy according to Jesus is in verse 4. Repenting. And returning back to that pure, simple love relationship with Jesus. Could I just go back to where I was? Thank you. So I think that we can all agree today, something needs to change. And I want to just linger on this word repent today. Because I don't think we're great at saying sorry in our culture. Well, that's not true. We're really great at saying sorry over the things that don't matter. You know, you put your umbrella up and you're not, you don't have spatial awareness like me and you apologize. Um, you have a scuffle with somebody in the supermarket queue. You're definitely going to apologize for that. Cut someone up, you might apologize. Or if they cut you up, you might find yourself apologizing. That sometimes happens too. We're so British. But come on, let's be real on the stuff that really matters. Sorry seems to be the hardest word to say, doesn't it? What does metanoia mean then? Because I don't feel the, the word repent is a helpful word for us if we don't really understand it. Well, it means a change of mind, a change of thinking, reorientation, transformation, Changing your inner self, your sinful behavior, and seeking God's will. It's a bit like doing a U-turn, I guess, 180 degrees. And it doesn't necessarily mean going back to where you were at the beginning. I think when we talk about these verses, often we think, oh, I've just got to get back to where I was. 
But the thing that I keep thinking is, well, I'm not the same person that I was when I met Jesus all that time ago. So I can't get back what I was. It's not that. The 180 degrees is about turning back towards Jesus, about heading back towards Jesus. It's not about heading back to the person you were when you first met him. Some of us don't have a conversion story like that. We just slipped into a beautiful relationship with Jesus and there wasn't a defining moment. If in doubt, if you feel lost, if you're wondering what it means to come home, to recover that which seems to have been lost, just turn around and head for Jesus. The lost son. At some point, that guy had to make a decision to change his thinking and to get out of the pig pen, to leave the mess he was in and head back towards his dad. And that, my friends, is what metanoia looks like. Get back to the source. Get back to that simple place where it isn't all so complicated. And let God create a new beginning for you. All is not lost. You've heard the Skylark story, many of you, most of you. But not all of you will know what preceded the Skylark story. You see, when we drove to Scotland for that week away, we were in so much internal pain. In fact, we were broken totally and utterly broken. We'd had years of living by faith, which was exhausting but exhilarating. We'd had years of wondering, what is the thing? What's the thing that you have for us, God? We had years of unanswered questions. And we also had experienced some of the more tricky sides of church, even this church which we love passionately. We're just a bunch of human beings who stuff it up. And we'd had some clunky moments that had really wounded us. And we didn't want to talk to anyone else in the church about it. We didn't even want to talk to our leaders about it. We wanted to talk to God about it and get our hearts right. So we removed ourselves. And I had this encounter with Jesus, which honestly changed my life. I was emptying the bin. And the place that we were staying was really far back from the wheelie bin because it was on a farm and it was slightly up a hill. So there was this hugely long pathway to walk down to get to the wheelie bin at the end. And we had been sitting with God, I guess, for a few days, just occasionally offloading stuff, trying to read his, his word, trying to worship, but feeling this, this disconnect that we all feel at times. And there I am. I've got this black sack. Let's imagine it's this, and let's imagine it's my heart too. And I'm carrying it, and I'm walking down the pathway. And it's like Jesus just sidled up. And he began to show me how the enemy had this assassination attempt on my heart, and he showed me really specifically situations that had happened that had caused me pain and parallels to my childhood where the enemy had tried the exact same thing through different sets of circumstances. And for me, the thing that I often wrestle with when I'm in a bad place is rejection. 
And I could see that thing of rejection was just so strongly there, but there was also betrayal and abandonment and some really major things. And Jesus just graciously showed me the state of my heart. And then it got to the end of the pathway. And he says to me, will you leave it? Will you leave it in the wheelie bin? Will you empty the bin of your heart today and let me heal you and let me restore you and let me love you? And I couldn't do it immediately. I'm just being honest with you. I couldn't because I'm not the I don't fake things. So I had to stand there for a while and name some of the clutter that had got in the way of my relationship with Jesus. And then I got the sack and with all my force, I threw it into that wheelie bin, shut the lid and I did a 180 degree turn. I can't describe to you, my friends, how I felt on the inside. There was a lightness in me. I was saved. I loved Jesus. But I felt this restoration of relationship. I felt overwhelmed by his love for me. I felt free from things that actually were in the scheme of the universe relatively inconsequential, but to me had become such stumbling blocks. And I walked back. And I've never heard Jesus say these words to me before, before or since. I don't tend to have experiences like this with Jesus every day. But I heard him say, I'm so proud of you. And I see so much of myself in you. And I can't explain to you how much that meant to me. My relationship with my dad, my earthly dad who is now no longer with us was really tricky and to hear my dad in heaven affirm me in the core of my being in that way I could not help but love him I could not help but reciprocate the love that he showed me the tenderness that he showed me in that moment if I could just have Mike church I want to linger here today because I just believe that we are we're coming to that prime place. God is leading us into this incredibly exciting phase as a church where he's going to give us opportunity to minister to nations. And when I say us, I mean us. I don't mean us. He's going to use us as a minster church, as a resource for people who are church planting, for those on the mission field. He's going to use us to be a hospital for the broken and the marginalized. He's going to send us out day by day to make a difference to the ends of the earth. But we have nothing to offer if we don't love Jesus. It's just stuff. And I don't want to leave a legacy of a church that has great programs and has great worship and has great lights and festoons and eventually a wonderful all singing, all dancing new premises that we're believing for if 
we don't have love at our very, very center. And so I just wonder if for some of us today, we've got some emptying of the bin to do. There's stuff that's just crept in. There's junk that has come between us and Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, but you're just aware in this moment that you just long for your heart to experience that unconditional love. Well, I'm offering an invitation to us today to have a metanoia moment where we empty the bins, where we take out the rubbish and we allow Jesus to take all of that stuff from us and to ignite a fresh love for him in our hearts. But it takes a decision. We have to change our way of thinking. It's, it's going to require a movement from our seat. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to pray And as I pray, if today you feel like, do you know what? I just want to rekindle my love relationship with Jesus. However good it might be, you might feel like it's pretty good today, but there's always more. If your heart is hungry, or if there's junk and clutter that you want to be free from, then I invite you forward right now. Lord, I pray for this beautiful church. Lord, you know we love this place, and we just can't imagine leading any other church. But God, sometimes we can become complacent. And what we don't want to do is to create a load of brilliant outward things when you're flagging a warning light for us to say, hey, I care about your heart more than I care about any of those externals. And so today, Lord, we offer you our hearts complete with all the junk, all the rubbish, all the sin, all the shame, all the fear, the rejection, the isolation, every different thing, every toxic bit of poison that the enemy might have placed there. And we ask you, God, to come and renew us. Do something new in our hearts today, God. We don't want to go back to where we were. We actually want to move forward with a new passion for you with a a love for you that is like nothing we have ever experienced before. So Jesus, would you come and do what only you can do this morning? Come fill us. Come fill us.